is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. No Connor McKnight today. Jeff Meller in for Connor. Connor's got the call of today's game with Darren Jackson as the White Sox take on the Red Sox in the second of this three-game set here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Beautiful day for a ball game, so if you're looking for something to do and you do not already have tickets, I highly encourage you to come on out to Guaranteed Rate Field because, again, fabulous out here watching the grounds crew water the infield right now, and uh, it is sun-splashed all over the place, very warm. Nice day for a ball game, so come on out and watch the White Sox take on the Red Sox, a pair of Sox here at the Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox will try and even up this series after a 3-1 to loss yesterday. And it was a frustrating one for Sox fans because certainly Lucas Giolito deserved a little bit better. In fact, Jake Kanzu back at the shop, let's uh, let the folks who may have missed it because it was Friday night hear how spectacular Lucas Giolito was. Here's the pitch. Got him looking on a fastball at 96 for strike three. Here's a 2-2, and he struck him out swinging on some zippity doodah. It was a slider. He went around on a slider for strike three. Back-to-back Ks for Giolito here in the second. Pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Swing and a miss, strike three on a slider. The 0-2, swing and a miss. So the good news, he strikes out three in a row. 3-2, got him looking on a changeup. No argument from Devers. Lucas with his eighth strikeout. Swing and a miss, strike three on a slider in the dirt. Swing and a miss, strike three. So Lucas hits double digits. Yeah, 10 strikeouts last night for Lucas Giolito. Six innings, one earned run, although he did give up three because there was a couple of errors in the game, including a critical one by Tim Anderson at second base, which is probably the most newsworthy event from last night's game. The White Sox lineup initially came out, and Tim Anderson was not in the lineup. Of course, he's been dealing with a shoulder injury since earlier in the weekend, kind of been waiting around seeing when he would return, and we all assumed that when he was back in the lineup, he would be at his normal position at shortstop. Whoa, 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 not so fast, because Tim Anderson, on his 30th birthday, ended up making his Major League debut at second base for the White Sox, and that was something that was his idea. This was Tim Anderson in the postgame. Now, take take notes. Obviously, Tim Anderson was not in the best of moods because the White Sox did have a 3-1 to loss that he was dealing with, but he, this was Tim Anderson after the game discussing how him playing second base and being put and inserted into the lineup late in the game came about. Just, you know, being able to uh, have it as an option um, and just trying to get in the lineup. Um, and you know, I played some second in WBC, so uh, it definitely was an option tonight. How much confidence playing as well as you did in the WBC at this point did it give you going around? And you played over on that side anyways yeah. with the show. Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, not really, you know, nothing crazy. But, you know, I feel comfortable uh, for the most part. Uh, I'll just keep going to plan, I guess, until... You know, I feel, you know, like the right to get back on to the other side. How's your shoulder feel overall? I feel that. feel good. Did you have to do a bunch of convincing the pain drop as far as when you came in and told him before the game that you wanted to be available for a second back? No, nah, no, nah, he was all in. He was all in on the plan, for sure. What was, uh, what happened on the, on the play there, on the, on the pickoff? 
Oh, I just didn't see it. Didn't pick it up. Yeah. Wasn't anything to like it being new and coming from a different side. No, no. Just didn't see it. You expect to be back at shortstop pretty pretty soon, or? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, we just see how the shoulder keep feeling and uh, just take it day by day for sure. We'll see what happens with TA today. Lineup not out just yet, but I did see him earlier on the field uh, throwing around. Looked pretty good. Looked like he was feeling okay. So uh, wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him back in the lineup today, whether it's at uh, second base or shortstop. We will have to wait and see. But we'll let you know as soon as the lineup is out from the White Sox where he is playing, if he is indeed in the starting lineup, and whether or not he goes back to the top of the lineup. Of course, he's been struggling a little bit at the plate for a while now. It was good to have him back in the lineup because that is right now the source of the White Sox issues. It is the fact that they are not scoring enough runs. Lucas Giolito, as we mentioned at the top there, provided another sterling pitching performance. He's been, you know, really the uh, one of the most steady pitchers for the White Sox all year long in the rotation, and uh, he lowered his ERA to 3.41, and again, really did deserve a little bit better last night, but you heard Tim Anderson talk about how the error that he made on a pickoff play was nothing, you know, because he was playing second base, he did not attribute it to that. It wasn't something that he was, you know, unfamiliar with, and I do want to point out that Pedro Grafal noted in the post game that, you know, he, he doesn't know if uh, T.A. just took his eye off the ball or if it uh, did something funny, but it was certainly nothing attributable to him being at second base. T.A. played at second base in the World Baseball Classic this past spring. And of course, until this year, the uh, shift rules allowed Tim Anderson to quite frequently play around the second base area so not at all uh you know a surprise but Tim Anderson is back in the lineup today he is starting at second base again so it'll be the second consecutive start for Tim Anderson at second base we'll see if uh his shoulder gets right if they choose to move him back to shortstop or could this be the start of something a little bit you know more permanent we'll see because obviously that's been chatter around baseball for a while now is, you know, could Tim Anderson be somebody who is better as a second baseman? Um, Since I have the starting lineup, I'll just read it off for you right now here. Today's starting lineup for the White Sox leading off will be left fielder Andrew Benintendi playing second base. As I mentioned, Tim Anderson will be doing the hitting in the second spot. Batting third in center field will be Luis Robert Jr. DHing Aloy Jimenez hitting cleanup. First baseman Andrew Vaughn will be hitting fifth. Doing the catching today and hitting sixth will be Yasmani Grandal. Batting seventh at third base will be Jake Berger. In right field will be Clint Frazier hitting eighth. And Elvis Andrews will be playing shortstop today, hitting ninth. And on the mound will be Lance Lynn. He returned from the bereavement list on Thursday. And don't forget the last time Lance Lynn pitched, he struck out a franchise tying record, 16, in a loss for the White Sox. And yes, another Another good pitching performance, unfortunately, wasted by the White Sox. Uh, It's been an interesting week. Lots of stuff happening that we will get to throughout the show. I do want to mention lots of good stuff in store for you. Mike Huff, the White Sox Director of Youth Baseball, will be joining us here shortly in about 8 to 10 minutes. And uh, he'll be letting you know everything you need to know about the White Sox Academy. And if you're a parent out there looking for a great activity for your child, Let me tell you, Mike Huff is going to inform you about everything you need to know. We're going to chat with him right around 1245 today. Chris Cotillo, who covers the Red Sox, will join us at 1 o'clock. We'll take a little bit of a closer look at the White Sox opponent later today. Zach Remillard, one of the uh, uplifting stories from earlier in the week, had a great debut. Had three hits in his Major League debut. He actually 
came in the game for Tim Anderson when he injured himself earlier in the week, and he had two big hits in a victory against the Mariners for the White Sox. Zach Remillard will join us at 1.30. The voice of the Chicago White Sox, Len Casper, usually here, right here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Len will be on the call on television today, but he's going to hop in the booth and join us here at 2 o'clock, and we'll pick his brain about what he's seen from the White Sox this week, including a wacky play that unfolded in a win against the Rangers that was, coincidentally enough, something that drove Bruce Bochy crazy. You'll remember the reason the rule is even in place, the play at the plate, the blocking the catcher rule, is because Bruce Bochy's own player, Buster Posey, was injured for the season when his ankle was taken out in a play at the plate through the blocking of the plate. So... The Remember, that rule was put in place, and then, of course, the White Sox were a huge benefactor of a, a rule that has certainly been uh, under a lot of scrutiny over the past week, not just because of the game that was decided in that one, but also because in the very next day uh, in the Padres, I believe it was Padres-Giants, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that. I'll check it. But uh, the very next day, the same play came into effect. So that has been a rule that's been under a lot of scrutiny this week. We'll chat a little about that later as well. I do want to get back to Tim Anderson, though, momentarily here. I want to play for you some audio from Ozzie Guillen on the postgame show last night on NBC Sports Chicago. Ozzie, of course, very familiar with the shortstop position, having played there for numerous seasons in his Major League Baseball career. Ozzie talked last night on NBC Sports Chicago about the difficulty transitioning from shortstop to second base. I keep saying, People think playing second base is easier. Obviously, it's easier to play shortstop. Yes, but it's not. Especially when you play shortstop all your life, the field is like backwards. Yeah. Every swing, you like, you know, I mean, you don't. You, you, you don't have your natural. You cannot feel comfortable when you play a second base when you know, never played that position before. It'd be easier for TA probably to play third. Oh, that's no doubt about it. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Okay. It, it, it's easier to play third base than second base when you play in that size. Right. Of the field all your life, then, then all of a sudden you move to that side, it's like, oh, it's easy to play there. I said, really? Okay, go ahead, try. It's not easy. So we will see how the experiment continues today with Tim Anderson back playing second base for the second game. And again, the uh, you know, it makes sense when Ozzy lays it out there. And of course, you also heard Chuck Garfine there, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. But it makes sense when Ozzy lays it out that way that if you've played shortstop your entire life, that is just all of a sudden when you haven't spent a lot of time playing second base, things do feel a little bit backwards to you. So that's something that Tim Anderson, we'll see, at least for today's game, will have to deal a little bit. And uh, he did mention, you know, part of the reason is because with the shoulder injury, it's, of course, an easier throw from second base. You do wonder, though, too, because, you know, it's not just shoulder injury related, but Tim Anderson has had some issues in the field this year. And Elvis Andrews, a gold glove caliber shortstop of his own on the roster, having manned second base for, you know, a good portion of the season when Roman Gonzalez is not out there. Um, You can see why the White Sox maybe are like, okay, let's see Elvis handle shortstop. We'll move Tim to second base, and we'll see if uh, this provides a little bit better up-the-middle defense for us going forward. I think that's a possibility, and seeing how Tim Anderson was the one who suggested the idea to Pedro Grafal yesterday and seeing how much success he had at the World Baseball Classic, maybe a little bit of a change of scenery will allow Tim Anderson to just get into a different type of mindset. You know, Maybe it'll help 
open him up a little bit. Maybe he focuses a little bit more on the defensive aspects of the game. Maybe, you know, and I understand this is a little bit of a, you know, looking at things with a glass half full type of optimism, but maybe that will allow Tim Anderson to clear his head at the plate and become, you know, the impact hitter that the White Sox have been sorely missing. And as I mentioned, you know, a 3-1 to loss yesterday to the Boston Red Sox. Um, Brian Bayo was on the mound, and he is one of the Red Sox top young pitchers. He, you know, he uh, hasn't pitched a full season in the majors yet. He started the year on the injured list, but he has really come into his own as of late. Did a lot of offseason work with Pedro Martinez, and um, he has some interesting stuff. He Throws the ball hard with some good velocity. I think he touched 95, 96 yesterday on the gun, and he's got uh, a nasty changeup slider. And he unveiled, unfortunately for the White Sox, a cutter yesterday. Had never thrown a cutter in baseball, in professional baseball, and uh, was tinkering around with a grip, he said. He ended up throwing nine cutters with a very high success rate against the White Sox yesterday. So, unfortunately for the White Sox, they were um, baffled by the young Red Sox thrower. And, you know, I don't know how much we can attribute directly to Bayo, but, uh, of course, the White Sox lineup has plenty of issues of their own. So we'll continue to talk about that right here on White Sox Weekly. We'll get more into it here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Before we bring in Mike Huff, I do want to remind you that it's an opportunity for you to get to the ballpark early tomorrow for Family Sundays presented by Coca-Cola. Don't miss pregame kids' autograph sessions. The first 125 kids to enter at Gate 5 will be escorted to a special area where they will receive autographs from some of their favorite White Sox players. Learn more at whitesox.com slash Sunday. All right, more about the kids. We'll talk with White Sox Director of Youth Baseball, Mike Huff, coming up next right here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. White Sox Weekly back here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Talking White Sox with you until we bring you the pregame coverage coming your way at 2.30 later today. Right now, great opportunity to chat with the director of youth baseball for the White Sox. I'm talking about Major League veteran Michael Huff, who has joined me in the past. Always an opportunity. Always love my opportunities to chat with Mike about what's going on with the youth baseball in the White Sox organization. Does a great job overseeing the White Sox Academy. And, Mike, I did not know this, but I was doing a little bit of research beforehand, and I have to tell you, I recently, just earlier in the week, returned from my first trip from Hawaii, and I see that you were actually born in Honolulu. Shame on me for not knowing that. (laughs) Well, that's not something that's usually publicized, Jeff. Great (laughs) hearing your voice. Great working with you again today. And, uh... Yeah, I was uh, parents who were met freshman year. Both were athletes at the University of Hawaii, both on scholarships and fell in love, got married, and uh, whoops, sophomore year they had a kid. So <laughs> it wasn't like I was born with a, with a native Hawaiian. Uh, I had a Chicagoan and a Californian that uh, met out there, got married, and uh, was born in Hawaii there for a whopping two and a half years until uh, we ended up moving all the way to Boston. Okay. Where, uh, dad got his master's at Harvard. Mom got hers at BU. And uh, so you could say for a kid before the age of five, lived about as far east and as far west in the United States as you could. 
interesting backstory there, Mike. Uh, thanks for sharing with it. And I think you could say more than uh, a little better than an oops. I think things worked out okay for you. Uh, so you're doing great work with the Chicago White Sox and the youth organization overseeing the programs. White Sox Academy, obviously, always uh, a great opportunity for parents who are, you know, Listen, there's a couple of things we want to hit on today. There's the elite level, which we want to talk about. But also, as a parent, I can certainly attest to the fact that the summers come and you're, you know, great to have the kids out and about having fun, doing whatever they want to do. But also, there's the realization that you want to keep them busy, not just sitting inside all day long. So, Mike, help us out here. If, uh, if you're a parent looking for, you know, a summer camp activity for your child and you want to get them interested, uh, maybe some professional advice on what to do with, uh, you know, getting into the scene of baseball. Tell us a little bit about some of the White Sox Youth Academies. Thank you. Well, again, the Youth Academies have been around for over 30 years, which is kind of crazy, especially the summer camps where Jerry really wanted to focus on those little leaguers, sort of 5- to 12-year-olds, and teach them just the basic fundamentals. I mean, stuff that every major leaguer knows, every guy in the minor league knows, Mm -hmm. but convey it in a way to the kids that it's fun, convey it in a way that they can remember. And, and so for four days, it's only $159, whitesocks.com slash play, and just click the big camps icon, um, and an interactive map of Chicago will pop up. And so we do 52 camps over the summer, northwest Indiana, all the way to the north, northwest suburbs, and, and really kind of break down things, really the first two days especially, a lot of instruction, a lot of fielding, catching, throwing, hitting, just working on some very basic fundamentals that even I would do in spring training my, you know, eighth year in spring training. I still would do some of these fundamental things, and our coaches are able to convey that to the kids, again, in a way that it's fun, it's interactive, uh, buzzwords that they can remember. And then Wednesday, Thursday, we really start getting into games and and quasi-Olympic-type stuff. So the Mm -hmm. kids are always leaving with a big smile. Um, again, from the White Sox, we make sure every camper gets a couple Sox tickets. There's going to be a T-shirt, a hat, a goodie bag, all kinds of swag stuff. But, again, for all of our coaches, Dan Pasqua, again, teammate of mine, myself, we're working with all the coaches. So the, the, the things that the kids are learning truly are things from the White Sox minors and major leagues, maybe simplified just a little for the five-year-olds. Yeah, no, of course, and I love that, too, because the, there's obviously – the, the wide range from 5 to 12, you know, you can see different skill levels all over the place. Yes. But the White Sox, Sox Academies, the summer camps are an opportunity for, you know, somebody who just wants to learn more about the game. You guys take care of, you know, right, every level. You, you've got them split up and ready to go and figuring out who needs to be where and just giving them that professional instru- instruction. Exactly. The first day we're setting them apart by age. And by the end of the first day, we're moving kids from one group to another based on their skill levels. So, again, for any parent that thinks their kid's more than just learning, maybe not quite travel or even travel, trust me, your kid will learn something in these camps for sure. And then we move to the, the for those who are maybe a little bit more skilled, the elite yeah, level trials. a little bit older, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. So tell us, Mike, okay, so... If you've got a competitive kid, somebody who you know plays travel here, what else, what are the other opportunities for them uh, regarding White Sox youth baseball? Well, again, I would go right back to those kids that have graduated from the little leagues are now sort of that middle school, high school age. WhiteSox.com/slash/play. When you get there, there's an icon that talks about travel teams. Click that one. 
Now, we have elite travel teams, both in the inner city with the ACE program and out in the suburbs with White Sox Elite. That's led by Jim Medusi, former major leaguer, south side guy. Um, his kid also, he taught his kid. He played in the major leagues for a handful of teams. And, and we take those kids, and there's tryouts that are coming up next month. And we really only pick a couple teams. You know, we want to help those kids, A, not only just make their high school teams, but whatever level they're capable of playing, Division Three, Division Two. Again, the big Division One guys, and we've had plenty of those. Those are almost the easy ones. Those are the ones that you try not to screw up. You just get mm-hmm. out of their way a little bit because they're just gifted physically. Mm-hmm. But it's really fun for us when we see these kids coming in at 14, 15, and make our 15U team, and we help them become a starter by their junior year in high school, and they get a Division Three scholarship at their playing ball afterwards. It's so fulfilling to see these kids advance. And then we have this partnership with the AI9 organization, Andrew Brower, Scott Lawler, who work in conjunction with our elite team. Scott especially um, was the uh, recruiting coordinator at Notre Dame before he left. He's now the athletic director at Bennett Academy. But 13- and 14-year-old kids, the White Sox AI9, have a place for you as well. And so if you're ready to do something a little bit more, if you've been playing in-house, you've had a good time, or you've been playing travel, and you really want to take it to the next level, I would say you go to that whitesox.com slash play, click the travel teams, and our tryouts will be next month. Same with the AI9 folks. We're all held out together out in the western suburbs. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like I said, it's very fulfilling knowing that we've created something within youth baseball that can – focus on the in-house kids and trying to make sure the kids have fun and want to play the games as much as as long as they can. And then we've got those for those exceptional kids that really want to take it to the next level and work with former major leaguers like myself and Dan Pasqua and Jim Medusi. So it, it's pretty exciting stuff. And I always encourage people too who uh, are maybe on the fence about it. Maybe you are, you know, your your child is uh, an excellent athlete and they've already, they already have uh, worked with some coaches. I always say like, you never know, like getting different voices to share what they're seeing, because sometimes you just get, you know, you don't even realize it, but, you know, working with other coaches, the same coach day in and day out, the coach may be a great coach, but there may be something they're not seeing. So getting, a, you know, a different set of eyes on somebody and hearing a new voice help somebody, I think it goes a long way. And you don't even know, you know, it could be just one minor thing that somebody sees, you know, with your professional background, with Dan's professional background. And, you know, a little tip here or there could go a long way from somebody who, you know, they just haven't worked with in the past. Yeah, I, I'm Jeff, I, I couldn't have said it better. I, you know, I look at um, any 10-year-old kid whose parents is now paying for private lessons and that kid is going in for private lessons three days a week no mm-hmm. offense any 10 year old kid that does something three more times a week with a professional is going to get better whether it's hockey basketball football baseball math science theater but to get a second voice for me i, I really equate it to when i went from the white Sox to the blue jays um great coaches but all of a sudden, there was a little tweak from a different hitting coach in the major leagues, and I have my year I hit over 300. And it wasn't that I was doing anything wrong with the White Sox. He just noticed one thing a little bit different that added on to everything I had learned from the White Sox. So to your point, to have a different set of eyes, um, you know, we never discourage any of our kids to taking private lessons or, or working with someone that we know and trust because, like you said, every kid is going to hear something a little bit different and they may say almost the exact same thing, but in a different way where it clicks where we haven't. Mm -hmm. And we just want these kids to have as much success as possible. 
Yeah, I think that's what it's all about. Have success and have fun while yep. doing it. You know you're yep. going to get that with uh, the White Sox Youth Academies. All right, Mike, uh, one last time before we let you go here. Uh, if you're looking for the summer camps or the elite-level tryouts, where can, they go, where can folks go to find out more information? Well, thanks, Jeff, again. It's whitesox.com slash play, and there'll be a nice big uh, landing page there where the camps are for the younger kids and the elite traveler for the older kids. So appreciate the help, and I, I think, like you said, let's see if we can start a winning streak today because we desperately need one on the south side. Mike, as always, we appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, jumping on White Sox Weekly with me today, and uh, aloha, my friend. Aloha. Mike Huff, the director of White Sox Youth Baseball there on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Let's pause 10 quick seconds for stations to identify themselves. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Celebrate the 4th of July at the ballpark as the White Sox take on the Blue Jays at 7.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive a White Sox 4th of July-inspired T-shirt designed by Ariel Sinha. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game patriotic fireworks show. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash summer series. All right. Up next, we will chat with Chris Cotillo, who follows and covers the Red Sox. The Bad Sox, who are taking on the White Sox here at Guaranteed Rate Field, will talk to Chris in two short minutes here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Casino White Sox Network. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM, FM, HD, and app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out at Guaranteed Rate Field, getting set for the White Sox to host the Boston Red Sox as the White Sox will try and even the series up, this three-game series, which will wrap up tomorrow. The Red Sox win the opener yesterday 3-1 to one, behind the backing of uh, Brian Bayo, who was absolutely outstanding. And while we've been talking a lot about the White Sox here early, let's turn our attention to today's opponent. We'll do so by talking with Chris Cotillo, who covers the Red Sox for Mass Live. Love Chris. He's a great follow on Twitter. Check him out. Keeps you... Uh, Apprised of what's going on with the Boston Red Sox, but also lots of what's going on in baseball. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on with me this afternoon. What's going on, my man? Not much. I'm not there. We get uh, the great Chris Smith covering the series for us from Mass Live, but still paying attention enough to hopefully uh, be able to give some insight here. Oh, I'm sure you will. Don't worry. We'll uh, drill <laughs> deep on what's going on with the Red Sox. I have to say, Chris, one of the amusing things to me, not necessarily great, but amusing thing is how every time I open up the Major League Baseball standings, I like to look at the East, the AL East, and then go right to the AL Central. And it amuses me to no end that right now and for quite a few you know days and days of the week here, it's been where it has gone right down the list. You could start with the Rays with the best record in the AL East at 53-26. and 26. The Red Sox are currently in last place in the American League East with a 40-37 and 37 record. So they're 12 games back of the first-place Tampa Bay Rays. But then you move to the AL Central, and you see the Minnesota Twins, who are atop the division. They're 39-38, and 38, so they're actually, they actually have a worse record than the Boston Red Sox. Everybody in the American League Central has a worse record than the American League East. It is interesting, the juxtaposition when you look at it. What's it been like for the Red Sox? How are they dealing with you know, being a pretty solid baseball team, but recognizing that they are in one of the best divisions, at least almost halfway through the season, that we've ever seen in baseball? 
it's a tough break, obviously, and I think we knew it was going to be the case going in. You know, I think everybody knew that the Yankees and the Blue Jays and Tampa would be pretty good. You know, Tampa doing what they've done, I don't think anybody expected. And then Baltimore, you know, being 16 games over, I think is a bit of a surprise too. So, um, you know, kind of you know, that, that has not been um, a good break for the Red Sox. I don't think they've helped themselves. I mean, they played well against the Yankees. They're 5-1 and one against them. They played well against Toronto, 4-0. Uh, and oh. But against the Rays, you know, they got swept at the top four-game series, and they lost three out of four uh, in a home series earlier in June. So, you know, I mean, they, they've had chances to kind of cut into those, especially against Tampa Bay and Baltimore they haven't been able to do yet. And, uh, you know, when that happens, I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, you, you kind of leave some wins on the board there. I think for this team, the, the wild card race is the only thing they should be looking at. You can say they're a last-place team, which is true, but obviously that doesn't tell the whole story. They're a game and a half out of the third wild card spot. And, and you look, they're, they're going up against teams in that realm who you were expected to be the best in baseball heading in. You know, they're uh, only, uh, I think, a, half, a game and a half behind Houston, game and a half behind the Yankees, a game behind Toronto, you know, obviously the Angels, Seattle, Cleveland, and the Knicks there. So they're in the thick of the hunt. You know, at this point, you know, they could be contenders heading into the trade deadline and therefore <clears throat> go and, and buy some pieces. Um, it's not something they did last year. They were kind of toe the line or buyers and sellers as the White Sox saw with that. Deekman mcguire trade. Um, but this is just a team that is very, very inconsistent, very back and forth, very up and down, where they'll win, you know, six in a row and then have three or four bad losses in a row. They'll have, you know, a stretch where I think they were like 12 and 21 for a stretch there in May and June. Um, they are kind of as middling as middling gets. And sometimes, um, you know, you can look at them and say, yeah, they're a last place team in the American League East. And that's really what um, that tells the story of them. And sometimes you could say, well, you know, they're 40 and 37. They're you know, in the thick of the race, and, and they're actually pretty good. So um, they've been injured all year. They're injured now, um, but they're, they've you know, been able to keep their head above water, and, and, you know, they fight. So I'll give them that. But a middling group that's still in the hunt as the calendar's about to turn from June to July next week, and you got to give them some credit for that. Chris Cotillo joining us here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller, up here until 2.30 when we uh, get you set for White Sox, Red Sox with your pregame coverage on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Chris, uh, you mentioned uh, some inconsistencies, and I don't know if I would term his season inconsistent, but the Red Sox star player, Raphael Devers, who signed the lucrative extension in the offseason, I know there was some fear initially that the Red Sox ownership group might, you know, fumble that one away like they had done with uh, Betts and Bogarts. But no, they got the long-term deal done with Raphael Devers. And he did homer last night. He did have a couple of RBIs on that home run, and he is currently tied for the league lead with 60 RBIs. However, he's hitting two he He's got an on-base percentage of three oh two. Um, has he been frustrated by his season? I shouldn't know, too, though. He had that sterling defensive play that uh, to turn the double play, which really, when you look back at it, was critical to the Red Sox win last night. Yeah, he has been frustrated by his season. And, you know, I think Alex Spear of the Globe wrote it the other day. He's, you know, saying he hasn't been comfortable to play. He has not performed the way he thinks he's capable of. You know, that's been apparent. There's been a lot of, you know, moments where he's come up in big spots and there's been empty at-bats or, you know, results that have not been, um, you know, really the what he's looked for. You know, I think they're the big, biggest one that I um, can remember is uh, a few weeks ago, bases loaded, no outs, and he taps back to the mound. You know, those types of things have happened throughout the year. And I think, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of cases where he has not been himself. He still, you know, can come out and hit the ball hard. We saw that last night with the homer. The run production is there. Just the on-base and the average aren't. Um, you know, I think 
there's two ways to look at this too, right? Like you can look at it and say, okay, you know, pressure's on. He has all the money. He's the featured bat in the lineup. You know, instead of J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts around him, now it's, you know, Adam Duvall, Masataki Yoshida, Justin Turner, not the same name value. Sure. Um, you know, when he's the featured guy, is he not as good? Or you can look at it and say, you know, this is a guy who's really not hit his ceiling, obviously, at all throughout the year. He's basically more hit his floor, and he's still leading the league in RBIs. And to me, um, that says something about, you know, what he can do. Even when he's not feeling good at the plate, even when he's not getting on base, you know, 60 RBIs and a good home run total and all that type of stuff. So uh, I think he's going to get hot at some point in the second half, obviously. And Trevor Story coming back is going to help give them another, you know, potent bat in the lineup. Um but no, it's not been it's not been uh, the year that Devers wanted to have, and and you know obviously there's an added level of pressure when you get the biggest contract in franchise history. Chris, a name that White Sox fans are very familiar with, who Red Sox fans unfortunately have been frustrated with. Uh, he looked like he had finally turned the corner, gotten back to maybe being closer to his old self a little bit. Chris Sale, and then of course he ends up being diagnosed with that stress reaction in his left scapula. So uh, what is the latest on Chris Sale's current? I know he's on the 60-day injured list. Any um, clarity as to when he might return for the Red Sox? He can't come back until early August. I think that's obviously uh, would be the best-case scenario. They haven't really mapped it out. He continues working out at Fenway. Uh, he's, I believe, stayed in Boston instead of going to Fort Myers, where he usually goes during most of these injury issues. Um you know, I think the thing that makes that so difficult for the Red Sox is that he was pitching really, really well before he, you know, went on the injured list. And, and even in, you know, the start where that happened, he he struck out like six of the first eight batters he faced. I mean, he was pretty much, you know, if not a completely vintage Chris Sale, pretty close, and you could feel him getting there. The velocity was up, all that stuff. And, you know, just uh, yet another injury to, you know, sideline him. And, you know, good for the Red Sox for kind of – Treading water since then, you know, James Paxton's been really good. Bayo, as everybody saw last night, has been excellent. Garrett Whitlock's been pretty good. Um, you know, they just they're they're struggling in the rotation with Sale and and Tanner Houck both out now for a significant amount of time with Sale. You know, I think they think he's gonna pitch again this year, but you know, it's always the timetable until the next injury or the next setback or whatever happens. So it's tough to always put a timetable on him because there's always another issue that pops up. You know, I feel for the guy. He's not trying to get hurt. He works harder than anybody, and he's extremely candid and accountable and all that. But the reality is he can't stay on the field, and you know, it goes down. I think it's one of the worst contracts in Red Sox history. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I can see why uh, what Red Sox fans might feel that way. And uh, yeah, it was a bummer as a, somebody who just rooted for that guy to see him uh, injured because he did like like you said look like he was getting back to his old form here earlier in the season. But um, nevertheless, at least from a trade standpoint, I have to think most Red Sox fans you win a World Series and he uh, he's the man on the mound to get the final out. You have to feel like that was worth it, right? I mean, is there any regret from Red Sox fans because they're seeing Michael Kopech at least recently kind of come into his own? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, you know, teams, uh, I always say that teams, especially with this one, can both win their ends of a trade. You know, the White Sox get, you know, what they wanted out of Moncada and Kopech in that. You know, I think that still even remains to be seen a little bit. The Red mm-hmm. Sox got, you know, a dominant Chris Dale for a couple of years. And, you know, uh, obviously um, he, he did win the World Series and they were in a win now mode. And, and they, you know, did that before his contract, that contract expired. I mean, they, in hindsight, they shouldn't have given him another one. Uh, Dave Dombrowski did that, and that ended up being a major error considering all the injuries. But I think both teams could, can win the trade. And, and another thing is that, you know, there's there was talk throughout um, those trade talks way back when that, you know, Raphael Devers could be involved in that trade. And, 
the Red Sox held on to him instead of moving him and decided to move the pieces they did. So I think they look at that as a win as well. No doubt about it. Uh, I think White Sox fans would definitely love to insert Raphael Devers in the roster if they could somehow, some way. Uh, one last thing before I spring you, Chris. Uh, you mentioned his name, James Paxton. He's on the mound today for the Red Sox. And, you know, we're t- and I guess that's just the name of the game with pitchers. They're always, you know, either, you know, if they haven't had an injury yet, oftentimes they're coming back or recovering from an injury. But he's been really good as of late. Uh, how's What's he been doing? Has he been doing anything differently, or is he just finally healthy again? He's finally healthy. And, you know, he was a guy who I think people didn't really realize. That maybe it was because he was in Seattle, and, um, you know, we don't always see those games in the East Coast of the Midwest. But a guy who was one of the better pitchers in baseball in 2016, 2015, 2016, 2017, Ended up getting hurt in 2020 and really didn't pitch uh, for three years. You know, he was only, I think, limited to, you know, 20 innings in one of those years. And, and he got, tore his ACL in his first start in 21. Didn't pitch at all last year after signing with the Red Sox and ended up kind of like sale, setback after setback. He got to a reha- point of a rehab assignment last September and in, uh, in, in extended spring. Ended up tearing his lat in the first outing, shut down for the rest of the year. This year comes to spring training, fully healthy, feels good, first outing against the Twins, hamstring strain, and just like another one of these guys, is he ever going to get on the mound? Finally did in mid-May, and it's been electric since. You know, more than eight strikeouts, I think, in three or four straight outings. Um, you know, the fastball's playing 96-97. We've seen it up to 98. You know, the breaking ball has also looked good. The Red Sox have been super impressed with what Paxton has given them. And he's a guy that's going to be important moving forward. You know, Bayo obviously has kind of emerged as, um, you know, the young ace, but Paxton has been a very consistent stabilizing force. So those two, you know, you think about, you know, the old lefty and the very young righty kind of mixing together, you know, to head your rotation right now. Uh, I think that that's, you know, they, they're very happy with those guys. Paxton, if the Red Sox are out of it, could be a big trade chip at the deadline. I, you know, obviously, the more they keep winning, the less a chance of that. Um, and if he's, if they're in it, he's a guy that they could look to extend and maybe, you know, have a veteran stabilizing force in the rotation for the next couple of years. And after all the injury stuff he's been through, maybe he's amenable to taking a deal. So um, he's been very impressive. He's a guy that he had a player option heading into this year. He somewhat surprisingly exercised it for $4 million. So they're getting a great value out of him right now. Um, and I expect that that'll continue. And um, it's a good story because, you know, a guy like Sale, um, and kind of going the other way, getting hurt again. Paxton, as long as he's healthy, is one of the better stories with the Red Sox this year. He is Chris Cotillo, and as you can hear, he'll make you smarter about Red Sox baseball. If you want, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Chris Cotillo. That's C-O-T-I-L-L-O. Chris, as always, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate the insight on the Bo Sox. Thank you. Appreciate it. White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Run Your Socks Off is back. Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on Saturday, August 5th for the Run Your Socks Off 5K presented by Planet Fitness. Racers will cross the on-field finish line and can head up to the concourse to enjoy a post-race party. All net proceeds benefit White Sox charities. Learn more at whitesocks.com slash run. I'm Jeff Meller here on White Sox Weekly. Up next, we will fill you in on the White Sox starter today. You just heard about James Paxton. Lance Lynn is back. Can he do what he did the last time out? We'll talk about it next here on White Sox Weekly. At ESPN underscore Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller. Out here at Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox get set to host the Boston Red Sox for the second of this three-game set. 
as they will be wrapping up this homestand here before they head on out on the road for a seven-game road trip on Monday. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves just yet. It would uh, certainly be good to get back in the winning ways if they could, and uh, they will try to do so today with Lance Lynn on the mound. Um, Lance Lynn, of course, the last time out, I think you can make the argument that that actually was Lance Lynn's best start as a Chicago White Sox, and there have been numerous good ones by Lance Lynn, but he was absolutely dominant, dominant striking out uh, or tying a franchise record, striking out 16 for the White Sox, and unfortunately, what has been uh, the story for the White Sox too much recently, the offense could not provide enough support, and Lance Lynn was saddled with the loss despite that. But let's relive some of those strikeouts from his last time out against the Mariners. They'll be facing the big fella, Lance Lynn, on the mound for his four, 15th start of the season. He's 4-7. and seven that high ERA. He'll look to get back into Lance Lynn form. And there is another changeup for Crawford. He saw a boatload of them for strike three. Lance going to the changeup early. And that is 12 pitches to a 1-2-3 first inning for Lance Lynn. Swing and a miss. Strike three. There's a harder cutter. I was just going to say, add and subtract. Lance looking solid right now. Sprinkled in a curveball for the first time today. Four strikeouts. Wave and a miss, strike three, a two-seamer. Swing and a miss. Tailing fastball, six strikeouts for Lynn. Wave and a miss, strike three, and you can tell by the swings. They are not seeing the breaking stuff especially well. Jared from Waukesha, as you saw. And he will be leaving now with that curveball for strike three. And that's strikeout number eight. Swing and a miss. Same-handed changeup. Yeah, he's got the kitchen sink right now, and he's throwing at these guys. The 2-2. Two -two is called strike three. Ford doesn't love it, let's say. And there are two down on the 10th strikeout for Lynn. There's strikeout number 11, 3-2. Swing and a miss, tying Lance Lynn's career high in strikeouts. Six of the last seven batters have struck out. Now 2-2. Swing and a miss. A new career high in strikeouts. For 36-year-old Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn, 13 Ks. He struck him out again. Lance Lynn filling up the strike zone all afternoon. 14 punch-outs. There is strikeout number 15. Swing and a miss. And he ties the franchise record in strikeouts. 16 on this Sunday in Seattle. Lance Lynn... That is something. You do not see a 36-year-old set a career high in strikeouts. A 36-year-old pitcher set a new career high with uh, strikeouts and not just set a career high, but surpass his previous career high by four. His previous high had been 12 in his career, and of course he went for 16 strikeouts and just uh, absolutely in, uh, crazy to see him do that. It was uh, a very great sight, of course, as I Mentioned it was um, unfortunate that he was not able to get the win. The good news is that he is on the mound today because the White Sox were able to uh, activate him from the bereavement list on Thursday. Um, Jimmy Lambert was optioned that day to AAA Charlotte. Uh, he had been placed on the bereavement list on Monday, um, and of course he is going to be 
on the mound for the White Sox today going up against James Paxton for the Boston Red Sox. So uh, we'll see if Lance Lynn can do the same type of damage today. Of course, I'm not expecting 16 strikeouts, but just seeing him. And you, you heard Jason Benetti on the call, highlights courtesy of NBC Sports there, NBC Sports Chicago. You heard him mention you know, the use of, uh, of a curveball, and we're so used to seeing Lance Lynn just throw heavy fastball usage that maybe uh, a bit of a uh, change up to his pitch mix could be the solution he needs because, you know, so many hitters around the league at, at 36 years old, there is definitely a book on what the you're going to see from Lance Lynn. You know, it's a steady diet of different types of fastballs. And so hopefully, maybe just maybe he's uh, feeling back to him old self and maybe, you know, a different type of pitch mix, too, could be, you know, the solution to getting him back to the pitcher that the White Sox were expecting they would get as they entered the season. Uh, Good sight today. I see actually uh, Liam Hendricks is out on the field now. Of course, he's right now on the injured list. We're still waiting for some clarity in regards to his arm issues. Uh, You know, he hasn't been having been giving uh, an update really yet um, since Rick Hahn spoke on Monday, but uh, nice to see him actually out uh, on the field exchanging words with a Boston Red Sox player. Didn't quite notice who it was on the Red Sox, but uh, Liam Hendricks out on the field, so a good sight to see from him. The one thing I keep getting back to when I think about Lance Lynn and the reason I still have optimism about the White Sox, and I'll admit you know, the the division they play in the American League Central plays a large factor in why I still have optimism about the White Sox currently 13 games under 500 at 32 and 45. But I look at this rotation. I look at the bullpen. They're both playoff caliber. The pitching is there. And that is the hardest thing to align for a baseball team is, you know, to actually get the pitching up to playoff caliber. And I believe the White Sox have that. You know, if you go... Giolito, Lynn, when he's pitching like he did uh, this past Sunday, and we know he's capable of. Dylan Cease, you know, the Cy Young runner-up last season. Um, Michael Kopech, who I think you can make the argument at his best this year, has been the White Sox' best pitcher. Um, you know, and then Mike Clevenger, if he, Mike Clevenger is your fifth starter, if he's running out the rotation, that is a playoff caliber rotation. So if they can just get find a little bit of hitting, and start to put together some wins, find themselves in this playoff hunt, and actually go on and win the American League Central, they can make some noise with this rotation in the playoffs. You know, I know Rakan spoke about it. I'll share some Rakan with you in a little bit, um, talking about the goals being higher than just a playoffs. But I think if they can find a way, show a little bit of consistency, this pitching staff is capable of making a playoff run. So we'll talk more about it. 312-332-3776 if you want to join the fun here on White Sox Weekly. Up next, though, we will bring on uh, somebody who was a very nice story for the White Sox, Zach Remillard. He made his Major League debut earlier this week, and he did so in fine fetch fashion with three hits. He'll join us next right here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Two is hit in the air, shallow right field. Remillard racing over, and he'll make a basket grab in fair territory. What a play by Remillard. Topa home, and there's a bunt toward third. It's a beauty, and it's a base hit. Zach Remillard on base twice to start his career, and his first major league hit is a beautiful bunt to third. The pitch, ground ball, base hit into left. 
Andrus is going to try to score. Here comes the throw by Moore. It's cut off. Zach Remillard. What a debut. He just tied the game at three. Here it comes. Swing and a base hit out of the right. Remillard drives in Andrus. He's done it again. Len Casper on the call of those Zach Remillard highlights in his Major League Baseball debut. Len Casper will actually join us at 2 o'clock, but the man of the hour, Zach Remillard, who had played in 694 minor league games before finally having an opportunity to make his big league debut, and then sure enough, he sees the moment. He joins us now here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Zach Congratulations on finally making the debut. I, I have to imagine it was a long, hard journey, but then to have it pay off the way it did, it was. I have to imagine it was well worth it. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Um, yeah. It's been it's been a whirlwind, but I mean, yeah. I guess you couldn't have drawn it up any better. And it was a long time um, of patience and hard work and preparation for it to go the way it did. Was um, definitely memorable, and I'll never forget it. So uh, let the uh, White Sox fans, the listeners out there, know how it came about, how you got word that you were uh, getting the call up. Uh, yeah, I was in AAA. We were in Durham playing against the Bulls. And um, after my second at bat, I went out to play shortstop. And before the inning started, the manager called timeout, um, pointed to me. And I honestly didn't know who he was really pointing to. And once I figured <laughs> out, it, I, I figured he was pulling someone out for some reason. And uh-huh. he pulled me out and... Uh, I feel like the only two options at that point are, or three options are you're, you're going somewhere else or, or you did something wrong. And I feel like I didn't do anything wrong. So I was excited to see what news he had and uh-huh. he told me to dug out and got to, got to enjoy it with my teammates and stuff on the field. And it, it was a cool moment. Yeah, no, I mean, and again, the, the perseverance for you at uh, 29 years old, I have to say, that, that had to be incredibly meaningful. Um, and at, you know, White Sox fans, like, it was a storybook uh, tale. So, um, so cool to see you actually have an opportunity to live out that dream. And then, I mean, come on. how? All right, so take us through the day. How were the nerves before the game? And then as the game's playing out, did you just were you just were you finally in your comfort level because you're playing baseball or how how's it all unfold for Zach Remillard in his major league baseball debut? Uh yeah, I mean day one joining the team, I think the familiarity of playing with a lot of these guys because I've been with the White Sox since day one. So I mean I played with ninety percent of these guys coming up through the system. So I mean it was comfortable. I got to I knew I had the support of everyone around me and. Um, yeah, no, I got to the, I got to the field and was just I, I was honestly kind of just taking it all in. I was enjoying it. I was grateful. Um, it was new. It was fresh. And uh, yeah, once the game started, um, it's exciting. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you end up in there. And uh, I would say before, when I was playing catch before the inning started, it was it was coming out a little hot. I was a little bit like <laughs> the heart was racing. And I, I, but you, I mean, you you expect that. And yeah. then uh, once that first pitch was thrown and I was on defense, man, it was like my brain just registered. Like, we've done this a million times. Like, catch, throw, play baseball. And like I said, I got a lot of good advice from uh, Pedro, my AAA manager, and everyone just saying, all you got to do is be yourself. And I, that's one task I knew I could execute. So I just played the game I knew how to play, and everything else took care of, took care of itself. Now, uh, making your debut on the road, how was it? Were you able to, did you have any uh, friends and family have an opportunity to see you uh, make your debut? 
Yes, my parents got out there, my wife was out there, and my older brother and his wife were out there. So we had we had a good little crew out there for my uh, my first time playing. How did okay? So how did you celebrate after the game? Um, believe it or not, my family uh, we're pretty low key. So we just I mean, we hung out, got some burgers, and mm-hmm. I got to bed early. Honestly, it was just it'd been such a whirlwind getting called up, going to L.A. I didn't get much sleep. Didn't get much sleep the next night. So. Um, yeah, I was trying, trying to catch up on rest and get to bed so I could be prepared for the next day. Uh, I love it, man. Keep, in, keep on keeping on. All right, so I have to ask you, last night was uh, a little bit odd for you because you were initially in the starting lineup, and then, of course, White Sox fans, and I'm sure, you know, no surprise to you, like if the manager says, hey, Zach, we appreciate you being ready to go, but uh, just so you know, the uh, one of the uh, engines of the team, T.A., thinks he can go, so he's going to go man second base. Did you uh, give T.A. any tips for Manning second base since it was actually his first time at second base in the majors? Or do you just kind of lay out and say, you know what, I think he knows what he's doing? Yeah, I would say he knows what he's doing. He's been around. He plays a high-level shortstop for the Chicago White Sox for a very long time. So, I mean, that transition for him is is a walk in the park. So, I, uh, yeah, no, I'm taking in all the tips and learning from everyone else. So, I'm just all ears right now. Great stuff, Zach. I have to say, again, uh, great story. It was fabulous to watch it unfold. And um, thanks so much for sharing what your experience was like with us here on White Sox Weekly. We truly appreciate it. Now, uh, go out and uh, have a day here. I know you're not in the lineup today, but uh, I know you'll be ready to go. So uh, next time you get back in the lineup, we'll be watching. And uh, keep on keeping on, my man. All right. Thanks again. White Sox uh, newly, you know, debuting player this past week, Zach Remillard, as I mentioned, came up with two big hits off the bench in his Major League debut when he uh, replaced. Uh, he stepped in for Tim Anderson, who was dealing with that injury. He ended up having three hits altogether in that game. But um, obviously to have the uh, the big hit in your Major League ba- debut, I mean, you could not ask for a better storybook, uh, you know, ending, if you want to call it that, for just the long journey you know, that's one of those things, too, I think sometimes, you know, if you're a hardcore fan, it's so easy to get locked in in the day in and day out grind of a baseball season and you're living and dying with every pitch. And, you know, it's been a somewhat frustrating season. Sometimes, you know, this is this a Zach Remillard story. That is the reward for being a, a baseball fan, right? Like you can appreciate a guy who at 29 years old finally gets to make his Major League Baseball debut and then is able to come away with three hits and then you hear him talk about the excitement and how you know he was it was coming in hot out of his uh, out of his arm because he was just so jacked you can imagine the butterflies um you know being you know in Seattle there and getting set to play your first professional game and you know you get this is what this is the beauty of baseball right like of course we're all you know, everybody wants their team to win a championship but you know to stop and enjoy the great moments that happen along the way. That's something that I think, you know, is important if you're a baseball fan, not to lose sight of at times because um, it is, it's just, it's a beautiful game. And like, those are the little things that, you know, if you watch it day in and day out, you can actually appreciate. So I mentioned Zach Remillard is not in the lineup today. Um, White Sox lineup leading off and playing left field, Andrew Benintendi. Tim Anderson is back at second base for his second career start there. He will be batting second for the White Sox. In center field, batting third will be Luis Robert. Of course, uh, Luis Robert, 18 home runs on the season. Aloy Jimenez will be cleaning up batting uh, as your DH. Had three hits last night. 
Andrew Vaughn will be hitting fifth and playing first base. Leads the White Sox with 44 RBIs this season. Yasmani Grandal doing the catching and hitting sixth. Jake Berger will be batting seventh at third base. Uh, he, of course, has 16 home runs. Yoan Mankata's uh, injured stint is allowing the... Uh, it's clearing up a little bit of room for the gluts of bats the White Sox had, of course, giving Jake Berger an opportunity to play more frequently at third base. Again, he's hitting seventh. In right field will be Clint Frazier, and batting running up the uh, lineup batting ninth will be your shortstop today, Elvis Andrews, as I mentioned, Lance Lynn on the mound up against James Paxton. For the Boston Red Sox, their lineup will look like this. Jaron Duran Duran in center field leading off. DHing will be Justin Turner, the longtime vet who has come on as of late. He's got 11 homers and 40 RBIs with that 358 on base after a bit of a slow start in March and April. Justin Turner has turned it up a bit. Yoshida, the left fielder and rookie, um, who is hitting 307 for the Red Sox with uh, 377 on base. Raphael Devers will be cleaning up, and I mentioned with Chris Cotillo earlier, he actually, with his home run last night, tied for the league lead with 60 RBIs, 18 home runs on the season. But again, a somewhat disappointing season for Devers because he is only hitting 239 with a 302 on base. They expect a little bit more from the guy who they gave a $300 million extension to in the offseason. And I'm sure eventually he will come around. But what's been um, interesting of note from Devers is that he has been playing much better defensively this year. And that was on display last night when he made that great snag to turn a double play, which ultimately, you know, aside from the error by Tim Anderson that cost Lucas Giolito a run, that could have been, you know, the critical play in the game, um, you know, and that's notwithstanding the fact that Devers also had the two-run homer, which ended up being the winning runs for the Red Sox. Hitting fifth in right field will be Adam Duvall, who just recently returned from the injured list himself. He's got quite a bit of pop. Um, only five homers and 17 RBIs on the season, but again, he hasn't. He's been out for a significant number of time. Tristan Cassis returns to the lineup, the lefty first baseman for the Red Sox, who was not in the lineup last night, but uh, he's been coming out of his on, of late as well for the Red Sox. Christian Royo batting seventh, playing second base. The young speedster David Hamilton, the lefty playing shortstop, uh, will be batting eighth, and then doing the catching will be Connor Wong rounding out the Red Sox lineup, and finally James Paxton on the mound for the Bo Sox. We talked about him earlier with Chris Cotillo as well. He's been finally healthy this year, so it's going to be a bit of a, uh, it's going to be another tough outing for the White Sox. They're going to have to try and find a way to score some runs. That really has been their big bugaboo this year. Um, You know, can they score some more runs? It was, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember, I don't, was it nine straight home runs, nine straight solo home runs for the White Sox earlier this week before they finally snapped the streak? They need to get some guys on base, you know, and you look at their on-base percentage up and down the lineup, that's really, that's pretty much for me the glaring problem with the White Sox. Andrew Benintendi, right now, the best on-base percentage in your lineup leading off, that's, he's only at a 341. Now, we know Benintendi's capable of even a little bit more, but he's your leading on-base guy in the lineup. And then you go to up and down, TA at 284, Robert 321, Eloy 314, Andrew Vaughn 325. Yasmani Grandal, 315. Jake Berger, despite the power, his on base is only a 275, does not really take a walk. Clint Frazier, here for only a short time, 317 on base, so we won't put too much stock in that. But Elvis Andrews, a 275 on base. 
That's not good enough. That's not going to get it done. Now, you don't like, you know, you'd like to have a guy who's capable of going the 400 on base. Right now, the White Sox don't have that, but, you know, right now they have nobody in their lineup above 350. That's a problem. And so until they start to fix that, it's going to be very difficult and frustrating for them because they're going to end up losing lots of games like they did with Lance Lynn on the mound striking out 16, with Lucas Giolito on the mound only giving up one earned run. They're going to need to score some more runs. Hopefully they can change that a little bit today. Sox fans, from now until June 30th, save up to 40% off Diamond Suites to select games with our Sweet Flash sale. Take advantage of all the great benefits, including a customizable food and beverage menu, scoreboard messages, parking passes, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash flash sale today. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max weekdays at 5 a.m. ESPN Chicago. Jeff Miller back here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Live at Guaranteed Rate Field, getting set for the White Sox to host the Boston Red Sox. Pair of Sox here today at the rates for this second of the three-game set. Join us at the ballpark on Saturday, July 8th, as the White Sox take on the Cardinals at 1.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a Luis Robert Jr. bobblehead presented by Guaranteed Rate. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. All right, so I mentioned earlier in the show Rick Hahn talking about the expectations for the Chicago White Sox being more than just a playoff berth. He met the media at the beginning of this homestand on Monday, and uh, if you missed it, this is what Rick, Rick Hahn had to say, the White Sox president of baseball operations, had to say about the White Sox expectations. The goals have always been higher than just making the playoffs. Uh, I will say that given our performance so far, our only way in is through winning the division, which based on the performance relative to the rest of the division this year, it's been everything's been a little bit down, which makes that more attainable than a wild card spot. Um, if we're able to turn this around and get ourselves in a position to win this division, given that we are currently 11 under, we are obviously going to be playing pretty damn good baseball for the final two, three months of the season, which would give us reason to believe that the postseason performance could be better. Uh, making the playoffs is important. But, again, the goals are loftier than that. And when we judge, ultimately what happens is we get much closer to August 1st than we are now, how we project our ability not only to win the division but to make an impact in October is going to factor in. In that that vein, have the last few weeks been informative at all? Somewhat. I mean, look, we looked at the schedule going in the Yankee Stadium and then playing a good Marlins team and going to Dodger Stadium in Seattle and now playing a really good Texas team. That We, we knew this path was going to be difficult for this two, probably actually three to four week stretch leading up to the break. Uh, and we've been a tick under 500 in that stretch. So it hasn't been devastating, but it absolutely hasn't been a, a significant step forward. I mean, uh, you can't remove April. That's not how this works. Uh, We have been a tick above 500-ish since that rotten start. Uh, That's fine, but that's not what we need to be if we're going to, again, make a run in this division and feel like we have a chance to do damage in October. So it's been okay, but it hasn't been as impactful as we would hope. 
So there's Rick Hahn talking about, obviously, more than uh, uh, just a playoff berth being the goal for the White Sox. And as I was mentioning at the outset, you, you know, if you just look at the top four of the White Sox, if they can get there, if they can find a way, if you, you know, go Giolito, Cease, Lynn, Kopech, it, and as your rotation heading into a playoff series, you could certainly see why the White Sox could be a threat. You consider the bullpen and how good it's been, especially over the last month or so. You know, there's plenty of reasons to believe if they can find some hitting and get some run support for these guys. So again, I'll say it again. This is a playoff caliber rotation, in my opinion. The bullpen is good enough, especially if you do get good news about Liam Hendricks in the next few weeks and he gets back to uh, the closer's role. This bullpen is one of the best in baseball when he's back there. So, you know, the pitching is playoff caliber. And so I think, you know, when you hear Rick Hahn talk about, look, we have, you know, higher goals than just making the playoffs, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I do think it's not crazy to, you know, talk yourself into if you can just find some consistency and win a few games and, you know, win this bad American League Central. You know, that's the fortunate part is you play in a, a division that's still giving you an opportunity to go ahead and just take it if you want it. It's there for the taking. So hopefully the White Sox can find some more offensive consistency and actually support this pitching staff, which I truly believe is a playoff caliber staff. A little more from Rick Hahn about the 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 decisions he's going to have to make with the trade deadline looming. Do we, uh, Jake? Do uh, do we have the uh, being in contention for multiple years? Yeah. Are there is, could there be decisions made at the tra- trade deadline that would maybe go against winning a winnable division, but would be help, helpful help for longer term? Yeah. Absolutely, that could happen. I, I, and that and that's actually goes back to my initial point about speculation. That, that's speculation this time of year, leading up to August first. That's that's the nature of the beast. That's going to happen. That's going to be, you know, frankly, part of what makes it exciting and accessible for fans. Uh, so I think you can speculate about any sort of pivot between now and, and August first. Uh, in the end, it's going to come down to an, an assessment of how realistic are this club's chances of, again, not only getting in October, but then doing something. And then what is the market for, uh, what is the return available to us if we, we make certain moves that do they reinforce 24, do they reinforce 25, and sometime later, and then how prudent it is to focus the, those dates in the you know more distant future versus more immediate. Again, it, it, it's reasonable to speculate about all that, but there's a lot of time left before that market really plays out. It, uh, there you go, Rick Hahn, White Sex Baseball, uh, President of Baseball Operations, there talking about you know, some of the decisions that are going to be in front of him. And, of course, I think the elephant in the room is Lucas Giolito, who, again, pitched well last night, uh, only gave up one earned run, had 10 strikeouts. We played you the strikeout montage with Len on the call. Len's going to be joining us here in about five minutes at the 2 o'clock here, and we'll talk with him about uh, where the White Sox are at. But, you know, that that's the elephant in the room, Lucas Giolito, who will be a free agent at the end of the season. And if the White Sox can't start to win some games, he's going to be a very, very sought-after asset. And, you know, that is the difficult decision. You know, White Sox fans, I, you know, I know Lucas Giolito, he's a, he's a great guy to root for. You don't want to see him go. The team needs to do better because, unfortunately, if they don't, it's hard to just let a player like Lucas Giolito, if you're not truly in the race, it's hard to let 
an asset like that go for nothing at the trade deadline. You know that you have to reinforce your team, your minor leagues with good young players, and and Lucas Giolito is somebody who would clearly net some good young prospects if they have to make that decision. So. Let's hope the White Sox can start to win some games so it does not have to come to that, that he can maybe pitch them into, uh, you know, in the first or second game of a playoff series rather than pitching for a team, a different team, trying to compete for the playoffs. Sox fans, have you always wanted to watch batting practice? Well, now you can. Don't miss your chance for an exclusive pregame experience to watch the White Sox and Blue Jays take early BP. This offer is only available for one more game, Wednesday, July 5th. Don't miss your chance to catch a home run in the outfield. To purchase, visit WhiteSox.com slash BP. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly, the voice of the Chicago White Sox on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Len Casper joins us next. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN Chicago. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The field of dreams. Nine eight the final. Light it up. Can you believe it? It was meant to be. First game ever in Iowa. That's the best game ever played in Iowa. All right, so you're probably asking yourself, Meller, Jeff Meller, here on White Sox Weekly, why, not that I'm sure White Sox fans are objecting, but why am I hearing the great call of Tim Anderson's walk-off home run at the Field of Dreams game? And it is, I will, uh, I will uh, take the uh, bullet for that one, but it is my personal favorite call of the man who's standing next to me here in the radio booth here at Guaranteed Rate Field, Len Casper. It is my favorite call of yours as the voice of the White Sox, and it was such a great moment. And I thought because the because Major League Baseball has gone back out to London for a, another London series, it was such a memorable moment in the last couple of years of the White Sox, and it was such a unique place to play. I wanted to ask you, as we monitor the Cardinals and Cubs in London, I wanted to ask you, is that for you one of your favorite moments calling a game in such a unique place? Oh, no question. Uh, you know, the the idea of uh, the first ever game in Iowa, the setting was incredible. You had two teams that were very much in a, a postseason race, and then the, for the Yankees to take the lead in the ninth, <laughs> White Sox to come back. And uh, it was just one of those, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it just happened moments. Um, and it was, yeah, that's the best regular season atmosphere and game and finish that I've, that I've ever witnessed. I've seen a lot of no-hitters, and those are amazing. But uh, the way that thing ended up, uh, it was pretty magical. Before we continue with Len Casper, let's pause 10 seconds for a legal ID. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Jeff Meller back here on White Sox Weekly with Len Casper joining us for a few minutes here today. You usually hear him on the radio call. He's got TV duties today, so Connor McKnight will be alongside Darren Jackson. But um, all right, Len, so another thing off of that highlight, though, Tim Anderson was obviously instrumental with that home run, that walk-off home run. He yesterday went to Pedro Grafal, and even though he wasn't initially in the lineup, he was removed from the lineup 
uh, I'm sorry, Zach Remillard was removed from the lineup because Tim Anderson said he was good to go, and he makes his debut at second base in the majors on his 30th birthday. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Uh, he had played a little second base alongside Trey Turner uh, on Team USA in the World Baseball Classic, um, but it's the first time basically in his entire pro career uh, that he had gone over to the other side of, of second base, and I talked to Pedro about that on the pregame show coming up in about a half hour, um, but getting guys out of their comfort zone every now and again is is not a bad thing, and it was Tim's idea, and I think he, he wanted to get in the lineup, but with the, the shoulder the way it is right now, just made that, that throw a little bit easier uh, from second. Unfortunately, both he and Elvis uh, made errors in the game last night, and those 200 runs essentially were the difference. But for me, Jeff, last night was more about the offense. It's just been so inconsistent. And when you're hitting, you know, and the Red Sox made a big error uh, in that game as well to kind of open the door. Uh, if you score enough runs, you can kind of make up for those mistakes on defense. And <laughs> White Sox strike out 17 batters and lose a game. It's it's befuddling in a lot of ways, but that's kind of the way it's gone here of late, unfortunately, for this team. And, you know, it's a, it's a great point, Len, and I just ran through the on-base percentages of the entire White Sox lineup, but it's one of those things where I keep clinging to. I, the division, Certainly the division being bad right now gives the White Sox the window, but I keep looking at, like, you look at Lucas Giolito last night, 10 strikeouts again, another performance, only one earned, one earned run. You had Lance Lynn, who's on the mound today, the last time he was out, obviously setting his career high with 16 strikeouts, but no run support for him either. I look at the rotation. I look at the bullpen. They both look like they're playoff caliber, so if they could just find a little bit of consistency in this lineup, I, I think they could actually make a run. I don't think it's that foolish. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, They've played 19 games, I think, in, in June, and every game has been decided by four runs or fewer, and honestly, several of those losses were one-run games or two-run games that became four-run games with some tack-on runs maybe in the eighth inning. So, uh, yeah, they have pitched well enough to win uh, consistently. Uh, they just haven't hit enough uh, to win consistently, and those things generally have to go together. You can't win every night one nothing. Last time Lance Lynn was out, as I mentioned, 16 strikeouts. Did you? And it, but it's been, you know, even with the 16 Ks, he's still got an ERA above six. Did you see anything different from him in that game that leads you to believe that he can carry this forward? Well, the stuff looked really good. I would say it's the best his fastball has looked all year. And honestly, if he uh, ends up, you know, if this is 20 years ago and he throws 135 pitches, he might set the new record. <laughs> I mean, he had, he had 16, but they had no chance. Mm. Uh, so if he goes nine innings that day, I, I think he's at 20 or 21 strikeouts. It was one of those days where everything was on for him. He had a good matchup in a team that, that strikes out a fair amount, and uh, he kind of did whatever he wanted. Um, but as you say, unfortunately, he took the loss that day. That that It almost uh, belies belief that uh, he would uh, lose a game like that. But uh, if he does that again tonight, I have a good feeling the White Sox will uh, will win this one. We talked uh, about Tim Anderson there, you know, playing second base. Do you think he – is there any chance that the position change may be just focusing some, on something a little bit defensively? Is the, it, Can that clear his head at the plate? Because obviously, you know, it's, you know, you go, we go, T.A., they need him, they need his bat. And as we've been talking about, the lack of, you know, consistency from too many hitters in this lineup has really bogged them down. Do you think, do you think that can be a recipe for his success moving forward? Maybe. 
maybe you know just again just something uh, different uh, defensively there <clears throat> there is a school of thought that when you focus on your defense or something out there that's different it can take a little pressure uh, off your offense a little bit um, and the other thing to note Tim is the White Sox shortstop, and when his shoulder feels right, he's going to head back uh, across the, the bag. So whether that's just two games at second, whether he does it all weekend, and then on the road trip goes back to short, uh, I think right now it's just to get that bat in the lineup. And, yeah, it is a as Tim goes, this offense goes. When he's good, this team wins. And you hate to put all that pressure on him, but I do think the top of the order – matters so much in every lineup and get guys on base ahead of the home run hitters and all of a sudden the solos become two and three run shots. Len Casper joining us here on White Sox Weekly for another few minutes before he heads over to the TV booth again. Connor McKnight will be on the call with DJ on the radio broadcast coming up uh, pregame at 2.30 today. Uh, Len, uh, around baseball, it's uh, it's impossible to ignore what the Cincinnati Reds are doing, and they've won 12 in a row, and they've done so actually without a lot of good starting pitching. Their lineup is just uh, unbelievable right now. Most imp- or probably most impressively, Ellie De La Cruz, who has been, I believe, the Reds are 12 and three in the 15 games since he's been in the lineup since he's been called up. But last night he hits for the cycle and. Um, you know, I've been watching baseball for a long time. You've been watching baseball for a long time. I still have to say, when you, whenever I see an emerge, a potentially emerging superstar come onto the scene, I get excited. Everybody should. Uh, I kind of remember back in 2003 uh, when I was doing television uh, for the Florida Marlins and Miguel Cabrera came up right around this time, uh, the 20th anniversary of his debut just passed. It was a huge shot in the arm for that team. Uh, he almost immediately became kind of uh, the key cog in that uh, offense. Uh, Dontrell Willis uh, had made his debut, I think, maybe like a month prior to that. And you add two kids who uh, all of a sudden are just kind of magical. It can not only help the sport and draw fans to the ballpark, but it really can turn a team's fortunes around, and that's exactly what's happened with the Reds. And don't dismiss Joey Votto coming back. I mean, I think he's got three home runs uh, since returning, and I think that gave uh, the Reds a big jolt as well. And they're in a division that's there for the taking. I think they started the streak six games under, and they're now six games over. So it would be nice if that's instructive that the White Sox can go on a run like that here at some point. Um, I'm I'm just uh, chuckling to myself because – as uh, we're out here at Guaranteed Rate Field, we, uh, we're monitoring the London series. And, of course, they threw up uh, the graphic of Shohei Otani. And you had, you had an opportunity to uh, call some of his at-bats. And uh, the last time the Angels were here at Guaranteed Rate Field, uh, you'll get a chance to see him here shortly when the White Sox go on the road trip. What can you say about the man who's going to probably break all the free agent records this uh, upcoming offseason? I, I think... You could make a case he's the greatest player in the history of the sport, or at least since Babe Ruth. Uh, the fact that he's doing two things and he's arguably, well, he's not even arguably, he's the best offensive player in baseball. He leads the majors in home runs and an OPS. And right now, you know, his ERA is in the low threes. Uh, he had a big strikeout performance against the Dodgers in his last start. I think he'll face the White Sox in this upcoming series on the mound. Uh, yeah, 
He's the best player in baseball, and it's a comet. I'm not sure we'll ever see a guy quite like him to be that talented to do two pretty different things at that level. It's it's amazing. Last thing, Len, as I let you go, wacky week. Your thoughts on the uh, blocking the plate rule that's obviously Bruce <laughs> Bochy uh, called dumbfounding and the White Sox benefited greatly from. Yeah, I think uh, the, the, the two calls that were made on consecutive nights in some ways feel ticky-tacky. Uh, I think the letter of the law uh, uh, should apply, and I, I think MLB started to see maybe uh, some catchers drifting a little bit uh, back toward the plate. Uh, you know, the rule, some think, might need to be tweaked because there, there's some stuff in there that seems fuzzy. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is set up in fair territory, keep your foot off home plate. If the throw draws you into the baseline, you should be fine. The other thing I should note for fans to know is – you know, they've gotten rid of contact largely at the plate. You don't see collisions. The rule has worked. You still can, as a runner, run through the catcher if he's blocking your path. But the whole idea of this rule was to just get rid of collisions where guys could get hurt. And so I think it's been a really good rule the last nine years, even if there are a few calls here and there that people don't like. No doubt about it. Len Casper, he'll be uh, on the TV broadcast today. Connor McKnight in for him with Darren Jackson. Len, we'll be watching you today. Thanks for hopping on. Anytime, Jeff. Thanks, man. Len Casper, again, the voice of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sox fans. Have you always wanted to watch batting practice? Well, now you can. Don't miss your chance for an exclusive pregame experience to watch the White Sox and Blue Jays take early BP. This offer is only available for one more game, Wednesday, July 5th. Don't miss your chance to catch a home run in the outfield. To purchase, visit whitesox.com slash BP. I'm Jeff Miller. This is White Sox Weekly. Back to wrap things up before the pregame show at 2.30 right here on ESP 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Waddle and Sylvie, 2 to 6 weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Here's the pitch. Got him looking on a fastball at 96 for strike three. Here's a 2-2, and he struck him out swinging on some zippity-doo-dah. It was a slider. He went around on a slider for strike three. Back-to-back Ks for Giolito here in the second. Pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Swing and a miss, strike three on a slider. The 0-2, swing and a miss. So the good news, he strikes out three in a row. 3-2, got him looking on a changeup. No argument from Devers. Lucas with his eighth strikeout. Swing and a miss, strike three on a slider in the dirt. Swing and a miss, strike three. So Lucas hits double digits. Lucas Giolito did indeed hit double digits. Ten strikeouts yesterday in a loss Against the Red Sox, only one earned run. Uh, bad luck for Lucas, says Elvis Andrews and Tim Anderson. A couple of errors by your second base shortstop, your double play combo there. A couple of errors there led to a couple of runs against Lucas Giolito that ultimately did in the White Sox last night. Uh, Raphael Devers with a two-run shot that propelled him into a tie for the league lead with 60 RBIs and uh, the White Sox We'll try and get this series evened up at a game apiece and close it out on Sunday with the uh, Red Sox in town here at Guaranteed Rate Field. I'm Jeff Miller on White Sox Weekly. We have your pregame coverage of today's game coming up in a little over 10 minutes from now, starting at 2.30. Connor McKnight will be on the call with Darren Jackson. We just heard from Len Casper, who has TV duties today. Uh, A lot of good stuff from Len breaking down 
where the White Sox are at right now. And, um, you know, the one thing I keep coming back to is this starting rotation. I truly do look at up and down and say it is playoff caliber. So if the White Sox can finally get some runs to support that starting staff, and again, the bullpen's good as well, I think they could actually make some noise if they can get to the playoffs. But they've got a lot of work yet to do, and the American League Central hopefully gives them the opportunity to do that work. Lucas Giolito was on Chris Rose's podcast earlier this week, and he talked about, you know, dealing with the speculation. We played you Rick Hahn earlier in the show talking about the deadline approaching and some of the hard decisions the White Sox may need to make um, as an organization if they can't win some more games and pull a little bit closer in the division. Well, Lucas Giolito talked about hearing the trade rumors and just trying to tune it all out. I mean, I see it online and, you know, fans of different teams tweeting at me and all that kind of stuff. I'm not paying a lot of attention to it right now because right now, like, my mind is so set on trying to win the game I pitch every single time. I'm very, very loyal to this organization. You know, they gave me an opportunity to fail over and over and over again at the big league level learn from that failure knowing what could happen uh at the end of the year you know with free agency and everything like i'm giving it my all uh, i want to see the rest of my teammates give their all and make a legitimate run at this thing i don't i don't like dwelling on like the what ifs of the future you know what i mean because that does create anxiety yeah. for sure right so there's uh lucas giolito talking about you know as a professional athlete sometimes you can't avoid the speculation, especially if, uh, you know, it, listen, if it's very in the in the world of social media that we live in, you know, I, I you know, plenty of athletes are not on social media for those very reasons. But it can be difficult to avoid seeing some things from time to time. So um, good to hear him at least sound like he is in the right frame of mind to continue pitching well. And like I said, I just hope the White Sox team can offer up a little bit more support for him so that it doesn't have to come to a point where the White Sox may need to make that difficult decision about whether or not, you know, you start building a little more for the future. And hopefully, unfortunately, we should be at the expense of a definite fan favorite. Uh, Giolito also, I found this amusing on Chris Rose's podcast. Um, He talked about, you know, MLB The Show, if uh, you're a parent or if you're somebody who maybe is um, under the age of 30 or maybe if you're Connor McKnight, for instance, if you're somebody who plays MLB The Show, you're familiar with just how intricate the game has gotten. Well, Lucas Giolito talked about how he occasionally uses MLB The Show to prep for his next opponent. I play as myself Mm -hmm. in MLB The Show. Right. For my scouting preparation, there is like a voice line that the announce the in-game announcers have now that like talks about it. So they start having this conversation about how me and Max Fried play MLB The Show to prepare for That's our next great. opponent. Here's a fun fact on Lucas Giolito. He and his former high school teammate Max Fried both will take a scouting report the night before their start and then go through it by playing MLB The Show. I love that. So it's like super meta and weird because I'm literally playing the game and I'm hearing the announcers <laughs> talking about how I play the game to prepare for the next opponent, and it's like very strange. It is definitely strange, Lucas, but absolutely amusing to me. Love hearing that anecdote from him on Chris Rose's podcast. One more 
nugget from Lucas Giolito. Um, I thought this was really cool to hear him talk about. Of course, one of the most uplifting stories for not just White Sox fans, but any fan of good guys in sports. And that is the ultimate good guy, Liam Hendricks. Of course, we all know what he has gone through dealing with, you know, chemotherapy, fighting cancer, and what he's done to get back out on the mound this season. Um, an incredibly fast pace, sooner than I think most people could have ever realistically expected. Um, and, of course, he's on the injured list right now dealing with the forearm issues. Uh, hopefully we'll get uh, a little bit of uh, you know good news on him about that. But nevertheless, it can't be discounted what he's gone through. Listen to Lucas Giolito talk about watching Liam Hendricks come back earlier this year. How yeah. emotional was that night when he walked oh in my God. through the doors? Chills, man. Like, chills thinking about it right now. It's crazy. Crazy. Not too far removed from literal chemotherapy. Uh, complete inspiration. I got a lot of text messages uh, after that game that you know I, I talked with him about from friends, family members that have been affected by cancer and how much that moment how much that moment meant to them you're gonna look back on this 30 years 100 percent, 100 percent. that is a highlight moment it's not so much about the game like baseball you know oh a no hitter or this or playoffs it is like a human moment that baseball is like so good at bringing out sometimes mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it, it was truly remarkable special um for everybody in the stadium that night, all the people watching on TV, uh, I will always, always remember for sure. There you go. Lucas Giolito on Chris Rose's podcast. Another sterling performance from him last night, unfortunately wasted by the White Sox, but um, hopefully they can get back and get a win here today with Lance Lynn back on the mound for the White Sox against the Red Sox here at Guaranteed Rate Field. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. That's going to do it for us today here on White Sox Weekly, but don't go anywhere. We've got your pregame coverage of the second of this three-game set coming your way. want to say thanks to Len Casper, Zach Remillard, Chris Cotillo, and Mike Hoff for joining me here on ESPN 1000, the Hyrexino White Sox Network. Thanks as well to Brendan Riley, Jake Cantu, and Kevin Zipak for producing. Talk to you in a moment here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.